0: Hello and welcome back to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. Now you might have come here via my Instagram account which is called Sleep, or you might have just stumbled across this podcast by a happy accident. If so, let me introduce myself and this second series. So basically I am on a mission to make parents feel better about how their little ones sleep. There is too much blame Shame and stress out there about sleep and nighttime parenting. Too many of us have our babies and are told we either have to cry it out or wait it out. Well, I'm actually here to say there is a big middle ground where you can be gentle, responsive, and loving, as well as figure out how to optimize naps, nights, and everything else to do with baby and toddler sleep. It really is okay to feed or rock your baby to sleep. Have them in your bed with you or ditch the strict routines and rules about self-settling without making a rod for your own back, I promise. My approach to sleep is all about finding out what works for your baby without any kind of sleep training or cry it out kind of thing. So if your baby doesn't naturally just fall asleep in their crib or your baby wants to be held a lot or your toddler needs your support to wind down for sleep, congratulations, you have a normal child. Now, don't get me wrong, if your baby doesn't do those things and is a little bit more independent, that's normal as well. Some are just born a little bit more, shall we say, adaptable and easygoing to the world around them. There are some babies who just drop off to sleep without much input from mum or dad, who maybe sleep through the night from an early age or who are what we might think of as just, yeah, just more easygoing. Don't worry if you have one of those babies, I promise that's normal too, but... One thing is for sure, parenthood is nothing like what any of us expect it to be and baby sleep is often one of the biggest surprises especially if your baby does need a little bit more from you than maybe what you had expected. Now this isn't helped by all of the inf- misinformation and nonsense out there about sleep such as you must put your baby down drowsy but awake or you mustn't let them get used to any so-called negative sleep associations. I promise I've looked into this a lot, there are no negative sleep associations. Anything you do to make your baby sleep is fine and normal and natural. So I believe that when we tune into our instincts, when we get good quality support and advice, And when we get to know both our babies and ourselves as parents, we can figure it out. We're not meant to do all of this alone. It's normal and natural to seek out support and advice from people with a little bit more experience than us. But we don't ever have to listen to anyone who tells us to do something that goes against our own gut feelings. So with this podcast, I want to empower and inform so that you can make the right choices for your family. It's really not about judging people who sleep train or start attacking other, each other for our choices. It's about giving a voice to the alternatives. So that mainstream baby sleep advice is all about controlled crying and self-settling and self-soothing. I'm just here to say that is one approach and this is an alternative to that. It's about saying if you want to be responsive, here's what you need to know. And I'm here to say, welcome to the middle ground. And on this first episode of the new series, I'm talking to the amazing Stephanie from Holistic Babies London. So Steph has over 21 years of experience, training and qualifications in both traditional healthcare and holistic healing. So she is a pharmaceutical scientist, a midwife, a lactation consultant, a holistic sleep coach, a Reiki master and a meditation teacher... And now she's currently studying towards a master's degree in psychology with a focus on developmental psychology, which is fueled by her passion for neuroscience and infant development. And her company provides the most amazing postnatal support to new families here in South London. She started it in 2015 when she was feeling frustrated after working in a busy NHS hospital as a midwife and not being able to deliver the care that she felt women and their families deserved. So Steph set up Holistic Babies London and has now supported hundreds of families, um, have their first, second, third babies. Um, and she's, You'll hear in the interview, she's so passionate about uh, supporting parents and, and their little ones. And I wanted to interview Steph because she has created a model of postnatal care that I find is so different to that sort of traditional maternity nursing world. She is all about empowering families to find their own way rather than coming in and telling them what to do. And we'd actually been chatting a little bit about... Um, mother wounds and maternal mental health over Instagram and so I'm really happy to say that she said yes to an interview and then that our conversation more than lived up to my expectations. We covered so much in this episode from mother wounds and how childhood trauma and experiences can influence our own parenting choices to what meaningful perinatal support should look like and how we can raise more resilient and happy little people i actually recorded this episode about five months ago though Um, it was meant to be the final episode of the last season but i didn't quite make my own target there it's been another (laughs) crazy year hasn't it um I'm recording this now in the final days of December 2021 and I'm currently reflecting on a year in which I've experienced such highs but also real lows. I realised shortly after recording this interview actually that I, like so many other people in the pandemic, was experiencing burnout and my plate was piled way too high. Running my own business, doing this podcast, parenting, trying to navigate just COVID life in general, it was all just a bit too much for me. And so I had to take some time out and give myself fewer deadlines. (laughs) So I'm saying this not as an apology, although I am sorry (laughs) if you've missed the podcast, but more just to be honest about my own mental health and normalize the overwhelm that comes with being a working parent. Sometimes if we can, the best thing we can do for ourselves is to say stop (laughs) and help. (laughs) So um, I did just that and I'm so glad I did because even though the world is no less um, crazy than it was when I started this series at the start of 2021, I am at least coming back to the second series full of energy and raring to go again so who knows what 2022 will look like but um one thing is for sure we all need our village more than ever and I hope that this podcast can be a tiny part of your village however you're feeling right now please know that you're never alone and we can do this together I'm just honestly, though, so blown away by how many people listen to the series one and all over the world, too. So thank you so much. And I really can't wait for you to hear this second series. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality second hand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com to sign up today. Mm
1: So my background has been maternity in the NHS on the ward. Uh, I started back after a career in dermatology. <laughs> I started back, yeah, yeah. I did a transition uh, from the world of the of the the cosmetic doctors uh, to maternity. Um, it was something I wanted to do for a while. Like even uh, my background in France is in pharmacy, and even in my third year I did a rotation in uh, in in hospital, and uh, I. <laughs> I assisted you know I was there at birth and I thought I want to quit pharmacy and I want to do I want I want to be a doctor and be an obstetrician and in France it's very rigid about switching career you don't do that so um they told me no 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 you stick with pharmacy and I and I, I diverged, you know, from pharmacy to chemistry to then product manufacturing, all this kind of stuff. And I ended up yeah working in the in the cosmetical world and dermatology for for quite a while until um, I had my daughter in two thousand and three. And you know, as you know, first babies kind of shift a her, her, her little bit our careers and what we want out of life. And um, I had a really really. Um, Really difficult experience on the postnatal ward with a a, a not very pleasant interaction um, with one of the staff. And I remember holding my baby and I thought one day, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna train as a midwife and I'm gonna be the best postnatal midwife or carer one can be. Um, And I literally made that promise to myself and to all the moms that they would, like all the women who one day would become mother. And then that's how I, I, I switched. Um, so yeah, I went back to university uh, and then towards the end of the course, I decided, oh, I love breastfeeding so much. This is, this is what I wanna do. So I then embarked in doing more like work on the ward with uh, breastfeeding mothers and difficulties with breastfeeding. And I had a beautiful, incredible mentor, um, in the birth center in one hospital. And then when I switched, I had a lactation consultant as a mentor as well, which was, I had the best of everything. And, uh, and then I, I worked on the ward, but um, life of being a mother of two at that time and the, the strain physically working on the ward was really, really like stressful and tiring with two young children. And I thought, okay, maybe now is the time that I do something, you know, outside of the NHS. And I set up this postnatal um, service
0: and grew from there really. Amazing. And so can I ask when you had your first baby, was that in the UK or was that in France? It was in the UK. Yeah. She was born here.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a very, you know how it is as, as, you know, and I was pretty young by today's standard. I was 20, 26, I just turned 26 and I thought, okay, um, how do I do this? And. And I remember trying to breastfeed her and I asked the midwife and she went, well, you take the baby, you put it to the breast and that's it. And she walked away. And I thought, oh, "Oh, okay then. And I was so lucky that she was my baby was so good um, in terms of like all babies are good, of course. But she was so good at finding the breast by herself and feeding. So I thought, "Okay, well, I'm going to have to trust that, you know, little one, what you're doing (laughs) and I'm going to follow your lead. Um, But yeah, it was quite quite an an interesting experience i would say
0: yeah for sure oh that's such a lovely story that you oh. took kind of a more challenging situation into yeah and followed your passion and created such a, a, a lovely business where you're bring yeah I think you're bringing all that goodness to the world i try <laughs> i try <laughs> i try so what do the words uh, gentle and holistic mean to you then as someone that works with with babies all the time and mothers
1: and <laughs> um, to me it's very much about attuning to the energy of the people that you are invited um to meet um I'm very scientific, but I'm also very spiritual. I'm a Reiki master, a meditation teacher. So I really feel that each and everyone come with their own story, their own struggles, um, and and really that there's not one one care that fits everyone, which is often the issue with the guidelines and with what we have to go by as evidence. Um, So I really try to obviously, always use evidence-based advice but I tell them to each and everyone one. Uh, each baby has a story from the beginning from from conception until the day I meet them so it's important for me to take that into consideration and, and to look at you know the parents um and, and understand them and where they're coming from
0: mm. oh that's lovely um and and so as someone that so through your work you spend time with people at their most kind of vulnerable raw you know real life experiences you know the early days of life with a baby yeah um I mean you must experience some right really intense emotions working with people at that point in their lives
1: yeah I mean it's really interesting because often so I I meet some of the mothers antenatally and we talk about making like a a little plan and i don't like the work plan it's more about okay ideas of when the baby's born Um, how can we maximize your chance of breastfeeding what can you add to your birth plan to make breastfeeding a success uh, and also tips on what if and that's something i've taken from working on the ward for seven years you know what if things don't go to plan, because often the classes that are out there, women are being, and, and partners, and, and people, birthing people are being told about a certain way of, of feeding, which will be, your baby would be born, crawl to the breast and feed. And unfortunately, yes, that's probably true when you have a normal, uh, unmedicalized birth, but unfortunately on the labor ward, or even in the birth center, if it's a little more hands-on, it might not happen. Mm. And I want to give people a, a very honest, uh, yet empowering way of dealing with it. Um, yes. So you are met with a lot of emotions because you you meet them for them the second time, uh, sometimes the first, after the baby's born. And for them, it's often a time to talk for the first time about their birth experience. I'm often mm. the first person they open up to because even though, Oh, my colleagues committee midwife are amazing unfortunately they are they don't have enough time to sit with mothers to really listen to their birth story um because they so they have so many visits to do so for them I'm sitting there for two hours and most of the time I'm just literally an ear and that's all
0: yeah yeah but that's so important isn't it we just don't value that enough in our culture
1: yes absolutely um, and a lot of the time, you know, the feelings have to be validated by someone who is seen as a professional, healthcare professional. They, they need that person to be like, your experience is valid. What you're feeling is valid. What you've experienced is traumatic. Even if to the medical staff who was there that day, it was a regular, normal birth. If a woman feels the experience was traumatic, it was traumatic you know Mm. and a lot of time women feel like they haven't had that room uh or birthing people sorry I want to be very inclusive here and Mm -hmm. don't feel like they've had that room to be able to speak up honestly about their experience and someone to say yes it was terribly um you know traumatic for you and um you have the right to feel the way you do
0: Mm. and do you find that um do you see that like what impact do you think that makes on a on a on a new family then when they have that support and that recognition of that that trauma and that that validation
1: it gives a room first to find out how can we move on from there so what are the options in terms of healing Um, we know the experiences and wounds that we've not healed from only get worse. Um, and often these women don't really feel or these birthing people don't really feel the immediate impact of such experiences, but it can be sometimes six weeks postnatally, sometimes a few months postnatally, sometimes when they decide to have another baby, mm. and they start reliving that experience. So I'm always very careful about where we are at in that journey and keeping an eye, and we really speaking. To the partner, if they have a partner or a family member who's very present, uh, in attuning to how that that new uh, mother, a new birthing person is feeling, really. It's mm. so important for the journey, for the bond with the baby as well, and the relationship. And um, There are yeah. so many factors that become part of it.
0: Yeah. And so you're you're currently studying um psychology as well, aren't you? Yes. It? Is it a master's you're yes. doing? I'm
1: doing my master's in psychology, yeah, absolutely. To specialise in perinatal mental health. Yeah.
0: Oh wow, wow. That and and what is it that you're specialising? well, so so what's your kind of thesis looking at? Do you know yet or
1: so I'm still I'm still debating, but one thing yeah. that I feel very, very passionate about that I come across a lot um in, in my work is what we call mother wounds um Mm. which are basically these um wounds that a lot of it it, it can happen in men in sons but it's often daughters who experience the wounds of um not having been mothered the way they needed to be mothered and and Mm. i want to clarify a little bit on this topic uh, because it, it will probably resonate with a lot of people it doesn't mean that if you have this mother wound it doesn't mean your mother was a bad mom okay gosh we're all trying to do our best and i think when you become a mother you realize how hard it was for your own mother but unfortunately for a lot of a lot of uh, daughters um they didn't get the the they get they got maybe the physical um the physical needs met um they were clean they were fed you know these basic needs but there were no emotional connection mm-hmm uh for some it was because the, their mother was addicted to substances uh it could have been that o- mother who passed away and there was no feminine maternal role model in the house uh, it's a very wide range it's not recognized mm-hmm. as a diagnostic in psychology uh, as far as i'm aware but it's very well known among uh, psychologists and therapists that it's something very real and um i see you know with a lot of women it really first make them question if they want to become mothers themselves because they are so worried about reproducing the same the same um, patterns or what kind of mother they're going to be they they find themselves pregnant be like oh my god what do i do you know like a lot of us do anyway but when you have this history it's very very difficult um and and so this is why i'm so passionate about women's mental health birthing people's mental health partners mental health um Mm -hmm. it's really where more and more uh what i'm drawn to and and healing healing people from these wounds and stopping the, the what we call the generational trauma really of like it stops with me my daughter will not experience what i've experienced it stops right there
0: yeah wow that's so powerful and this this conversation leads on so perfectly from last week's episode which I've just recorded so you won't have had a chance to listen to it yet but I talked to um, a neuroscientist about inherited nurturing patterns and behaviours and, and how, uh, um, how we have a generation, that generational cycle of, of caregiving. Yes. And how it infect how how it impacts the parental brain from a yeah, from an inherited point of view, but also from then kind of a learned behaviour and an environmental point of view. And something that we touched on, but I would love to talk to you more about is is about how we repair that because yes. um I think first I think acknowledging that and seeing that is is a really powerful first step, isn't it? So it's really hard and really scary if that's your lived experience and I can understand why people want to turn away from that because these are very raw um like scary things (laughs) within ourselves but what um what my guest on last week's show um Roseo was saying was that um sorry Rosio, was Mm -hmm. saying was that we have to create we have to put it into order in our minds we have to address it tell our stories organize our you know organize it in our brains from a neurological point of view, you know, put it into, into order, if that makes sense. And oh, yes. telling our stories is so healing.
1: Yes, I mean, yes, absolutely agree. Storytelling is extremely powerful. As human beings, we need the connection between one and one another. And as birthing parents, you know, we need even more of that connection because we are so vulnerable that we seek that connection, especially if we have not been given it, it, you know, growing up. Um, So there's a lot of things you can do. You know, and and people have to find, again, the way to to work is really holistically. You have to find what works for you in terms of talking therapies is not for everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some people really don't find that it's helpful for them. Um, But some of the ways you can heal from those wounds is really, you know, addressing them, acknowledging Mm -hmm. them. And first is feeling the anger towards Mm -hmm. the mother and that is so hard because we are taught to love our mothers like it's an innate feeling that i love my mom i should love my mom but when you suffer from this mother wound it's such a conflict within a person because you know you've been hurt at some level or you've felt some forms of neglect um yet you still love that person and there aren't that many relationships where the person is hurting you then you you unless it's an abusive relationship that's another topic um mm. with a parent you know a child who's constantly criticized will not stop loving their mother they will mm. stop loving themselves Um so it's very important that we address how to heal from that. And you know, it's about so yeah, counseling, psychotherapy, introspective work, um, inner child work. That's something I do a lot when I do my meditations with my women's cycle circles, sorry, um, is to go back inwards, attune to the inner child. And I would say to any parent out there who's really doubting themselves about how do I raise a happy kid that's what we want really yeah go inwards consult your inner child what was it that was missing in your life when you were growing up how did you wish your parents parented you um and, and nurture that child go back i do a lot of visualization of welcoming the child back hugging saying i love you um you know kissing like you literally use your brain to rewire your past experiences and rewrite the story um, so that's another, yeah, that's a that's a thing you can you can work on. I, I, I'm always very careful because those those exercises of visualization can be very powerful mm-hmm. and can re traumatize a person. This is something that's mm-hmm. going on in psychology, is re traumatizing. Um mm-hmm. so I always make sure if someone comes to me with these these wounds and she wants uh, or he wants to, you know, carry out healing or meditation, I always make sure they are being seen by a psychologist or therapist on the side, receiving counseling mm-hmm. because it can be really um you can cause a lot of damage if there's not like a network or a supporting person in the background who a healthcare professional who specializes in mental health in the background Uh, but also mindfulness and journaling um working on self-validation self-love and setting healthy boundaries as well um, and learning to forgive yourself Uh, a lot of there's a lot of guilt Comes with with this feeling, um, and accepting yeah. like there's no perfect mothers. Oh, as you know, Hannah, we all kind of yeah. wing it, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred
0: percent. Like, percent.
1: Seriously, anyone out there? My goodness, I've got two degrees and God knows how many like parenting, whatever, like teaching, blah blah blah, exams, and I'm still trying <laughs> to wing it every <laughs> as a mom. So don't be yourself up. Trust me, it, it, it's it's tough.
0: <laughs> That's like possibly my favourite thing about doing this podcast series is that I've spoken to people like you, you know, people who are midwives, um, maternity nurses, um, neuroscientists, psychologists, <laughs> people with all of this de- these degrees and experiences and all of this stuff and they are all just as... <laughs> rubbish as the rest of us you know yes, like we're all of we all are making the same mistakes yeah. finding the same things hard you know learning on the job making you know the rupture and repair cycle is the same I think for everyone and and I think that for me is really reassuring yeah.
1: and I think that's what makes the difference between a good parent and a parent who needs work and what you've done, is that awareness that we are not perfect and that we will make mistakes and that we are constantly trying to be better, Um, you know, like asking our kids, hey guys, how am I doing here, Um, you know, how does this feel, is there anything that you feel I do? that i could be better at. and of course if they tell you yeah we want to eat McDonald's every single day you're rubbish <laughs> you're like no 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 boundaries are also important uh, but getting feedback from our children because at the end of the day we may have met them and they have a part of genetics but they, they are their own person with their own needs and you know with my kids it can be things like i've learned that they need the, the you know they're a bit more introverted like me so they have got awareness of their space then I know that sometimes they need to lock themselves in their room and just be left alone and Mm. that that's okay but sometimes parents who are more extroverted may find that we're always in your room and get really annoyed and actually open the conversation talk to your kids about their needs um because they might not be the same as yours and you can't assume they are
0: yes yeah it's it's uh yeah, sorry, I just that's such a good point. Um sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I was just listening okay. to you and I just <laughs> I just kinda got lost. I was like, yes, I got the. So, so yeah, I went a little bit off track. of the mother. No, me, I so. love it. <laughs> you know, no, what? I lo- I love it. I love it. Um it's so I mean, everything you're saying I'm just agreeing with so much. I think um yeah the mother wounds thing is is, is such a big um, ignored part of our society I think and I think as you say that is because we love our mothers so we don't want to blame them but I think there can be so much healing in acknowledging what, what, is, what your own experience has been and telling that story for yourself and I think what you, you said about how it you can then feel less like a failure is, yeah. is really important. Cause I think failure is this recurring theme for modern parents. Oh, absolutely.
1: We all, we all trading to be to be terrible parents and our kids are, are going to end up as drug lords. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, literally like, I think it's the fear of a lot of us. Um, and that's another, let's bring another point when we're talking about mother wounds. Um, we can also find that these parents may have struggles with boundaries and allow mm. their kids to be whatever they want. And we know that mm. we need to set boundaries with children. It's important to their development. Um, but when you have struggled your whole life, maybe with a very dismissive mother uh, or father, um, where you've struggled to, to find yourself in that family unit, unit you don't have a clear, a clear idea of what what you should do so you don't want to reproduce the model that you you were raised um, in but at the same time you're like okay um maybe maybe i should allow my kids to do whatever they want so they'll be happy all the time and that line between you know freedom mm. and and boundaries is it's sometimes hard And you have to really work and shift it as the children are growing up um it can be something where a lot of parents uh, a lot of mothers daughters with this, this kind of um you know psychological uh background struggle with or like oh am i doing the right thing am i too strict or am i too relaxed as a mother
0: yeah so if you yeah so I th- I can like I can imagine if you've grown up with a quite a permissive parent maybe there were no boundaries there were no rules everything went but you never you know that's that's also not that's not great and neither yeah. is growing up with a parent with too many boundaries and an authoritarian kind of parenting exactly. style and yeah. and so I you know it's a, like you're saying you know you don't want to swing the other way you want to actually kind of go down a middle there is a middle ground
1: yeah and this is where again you know when your children are very little when they're babies of course it's all about your intuition and it's about responsive Mm. parenting and we know that this is so much better for babies um you know as you and I know and many (laughs) of uh, our holistic communities but I think the issue becomes when when the child starts growing up and this this need to adapt of like yeah. what do we do is it okay to let the kid go to bed at 1am <laughs> yeah know.
0: yeah definitely some gray areas appear really quickly because it goes quickly. really fast and suddenly yeah you're dealing with someone that can talk back to you and yeah oof, it's hard and I think um and I think this is why you know yeah we talk a lot about responsiveness and the importance of that but I, th- I understand why people who might have grown up with no boundaries and would have craved those boundaries as a child and needed actually more of a parental figure and less of a, Mm. maybe, maybe your parent was more of a friend or a, Mm -hmm. you know, or not involved or whatever. And Mm. actually you craved those boundaries. And then when you have a baby, you might feel, um, your instinct might be to set very, very clear boundaries, but that might look like um, uh, authoritarianism, you know, that might look like, well, I'm going to put you in your own bedroom, from yeah. an early age because you need to learn yeah um and that doesn't mean that that parent is cold or harsh or doesn't mm-hmm. love their child mm-hmm. it's just that they that's their way I suppose of trying to repair a mother a, a, a maternal wound I suppose isn't absolutely it? absolutely and a lot of things that get missed with that
1: is like in either way a very permissive parent just like a parent who is very authoritarian it's the needs of the child were not met. The Mm -hmm. needs of that person who's not a a, a parent were not met. So either way, there is a struggle. Um, And often that's not acknowledged. And and a lot of, and this inner child, you know, those wounds that these people carry is all to do with unmet needs. That's the bottom line. Yes, emotional yeah. needs. I mean, for some also physical needs, but that's often seen uh, highlighted as neglect in a in a in a stronger way. But the emotional needs of not having a parent who was attuned to your emotions, who allowed you to feel negative emotions, and even mm-hmm. the hyper what I call hyper toxicity of positivity, like you have this toxic mm-hmm. positivity. Sometimes having a parent who's overly positive and keeps undermining. Mm-hmm what you are feeling can lead with um you know with you having unmet needs like i didn't feel great that day and nobody acknowledged that i had a bad day
0: yes. I will have to be positive and smile and be bouncy. Yeah, you know. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, the pressure on children to be happy all the time and children right. need to be okay and and it's all good, it's all good. And I'll just buy you a new toy and then you'll forget about that thing and all oh, distract, distract and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's often something in our societies of the, keeping a brave face. You know, there's such a a shame around. You know, and gosh, I mean there's so much you know literature around that and um, these days but there's still such a shame of saying no I'm not okay or I'm having a terrible day or you know or, or how dare have a child who's not happy I mean mm-hmm. we cannot control everything in our child's environments like yes we have our parenting style and preferably a responsive loving parenting style but you know our kids are still living in a society where they're exposed to you know the news and social media and peer pressure and so those factors are part of the building blocks of their personality and you know how their brain is going to develop we can't be in control of all of that really and it's it's very important to acknowledge that sometimes they have anxiety they have really rubbish days um and and being maybe it starts with us i think it starts with us Mm -hmm. to be as a parent do you know what today i don't feel good i i had a really tough day at work or somebody said something to me that really hurt my feelings so what you're seeing right now is mommy or daddy uh being quite upset uh rather than hiding feelings Mm -hmm. and not never showing your kids that you also have crappy days
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah um for example I never saw my parents argue ever as a Mm -hmm. child and then Mm -hmm. when I was 11 they separated Mm -hmm. and it was the biggest shock do you know what I mean like it was um I I wish I'd you know I wish I'd seen them have normal argument you know and it, it yeah and then when they did it was like catastrophic and they you know it was the end you know so um if if you get to see the kind of the realities of of normal life disagreeing with people having a little bit of conflict in your relationships you know that's normal um uh then you can learn to process it and become resilient with that whereas if you never see it you don't build up resilience
1: completely and you know as you talk about resilience as well there's there's a force um like a false understanding maybe that people think oh but you know trauma builds resilience you know you're okay um you know it forges a character well actually no and <laughs> um, <laughs> Responsive parenting, loving parented, uh, you know, in the background of a child who will just by being going through life, meeting those small stresses and with babies, it starts just as the mother not looking at the baby for a few seconds. These are the first stresses our babies are learning, but those stresses are important. That's what develop resilience. Very minor stresses of separation, and then you know, mommy or dad is coming back, and you know, in the background they feel loved and nurtured and responded to. Um, So we have to really understand that we—it's important to acknowledge that resistance, um, resilience, sorry, occurs Mm -hmm. on the background of love and nurturing, Um, Mm -hmm. not by being neglectful or ignoring our children's emotional needs in the hope that they're going to be tougher people as they grow up yeah maybe they'll be tougher but gosh we're going to be miserable and we will have a lot of issue building healthy loving relationships like romantic relationships and loving friendships and that are equal with boundaries Mm.
0: i do feel like there is a shift in like a a shift happening in society though like i feel like when i listen to radio conversations (laughs) like phone-in shows or read articles about mental health and we're starting to be more aware of um Mental health, because obviously in the UK we have a real, real problem with, um with suicide in, yeah. in, in young people yes. and with, with men. And um, mm-hmm. I believe at the moment that the 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 number one cause of women af- the, within the first twelve months of, of giving birth is suicide as well. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of course of death. So I, we have like a really big problem yeah. with that. Yeah. And I think we are starting to talk about it and understand it. And I think uh this awareness of the importance of vulnerability I think is key to it and I really hope we can keep moving in that mm. direction as a society because we need to be able to be okay with being vulnerable but yeah. to do it in these safer places and mm. yeah absolutely
1: yeah. and you know if like th- this this talk actually could go in so many
0: directions
1: because <laughs> it's like an onion you're peeling um as we talk about you know you're talking about men and suicide and that brings straight you know my mind back to boys and how we raise boys and how we mm. love boys and um there's been like quite a few studies which are super interested interesting that have been done on 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 baby boys um one are born two weeks um more premature than girls even if they they their their immature this, sorry their maturity is not um as advanced as the girls they are uh, the placenta of baby boys doesn't feel toxins as well as the placenta of baby girls so their brain is wow. more prone yeah so they're more vulnerable to stress hormones they're more vulnerable to a lot of their environment and yet, um, and I'm sure you've seen this in your job as well, Hannah. I go and visit families, and there's a baby boy and he's crying. And I hear, you know, a parent say, Oh, stop crying, your boy, you're going to have to toughen up. And the baby's like yeah. two months, you know, it's <laughs> like, well, it's not going to war like anytime soon or hopefully in in this lifetime. um mm. But, you know, and that leads to this. Conversation around male, male suicide, toxicity, men and emotions. And gosh, it's mm-hmm. like, it really starts from the early childhood. Those yeah. those wounds that we can avoid. Who love nurturing, honest conversations, um, feedback. And, and really raising people who are not going to be perfect,
0: but better adjusted than we were. Yes. I think we, and we have to acknowledge that that is hard for us because of the way that we were raised yes. and, um, you know, and that's okay. And, and you look back at how our parents were raised and mm-hmm. how our grandparents were raised and to acknowledge that this is uncomfortable work but it's yeah. it's essential yeah and I would love to I would love to ask you yeah because I, I agree with you what you say about little boys so much and I I have a son myself and I, mm. I really am very aware of how terrified our culture is of like mummies boys yes. and needy boys yes. um, and there's a complete just intolerance for it really mm. or a concern that that that's yeah and but you've had a, a boy and a girl right yes. so you're yeah. so what did you feel that you had different ex- like did you feel they were treated differently by I mean obviously they were but what was your experience of how differently they were treated
1: I mean first of all they were so different as babies um, mm. and they were almost like a textbook of infant psychology <laughs> cases <laughs> uh, my daughter was very quickly independent slept well ate well like pretty chilled very what we call it inverted comma easy baby um yeah you know which is a terrible term because it makes the <laughs> other baby feel like their hardship but it's it's not true
0: yeah um, and like, I don't think any baby's like easy but I suppose you know, like, comparison in
1: comparison <laughs> she, she was more, <laughs> I would call it she was more adaptable to the world yeah than her you know yeah um yeah. and uh, my son I think he was he was sent to me to debunk everything I thought I knew about babies and Mm challenge me uh, (laughs) which I'm very grateful for because he was a both were wonderful teachers but he really was but I found that um with my daughter my son sorry um it was very much a, a battle especially with my you know my in-laws I'm divorced but you know my in-laws who were like oh but Mm -hmm. look at him you know he's very clingy and he doesn't want Mm -hmm. he feeds all the time and he's always glued to you and I was like yeah he's got needs and I'm meeting them um but he was very much that baby who did it a very specific environment to thrive um Mm -hmm. uh actually um Catherine Stagg who's a wonderful IBCRC did this great Instagram post uh, a few months back uh looking at psychology I can't remember Mm -hmm. which study she used, but basically calling some babies dandelions and some babies are called, you know, orchids. Uh, And if you, you know, people who are listening, if you, if you don't know what it is, just go to to her page. She's, she's amazing. Uh, And uh, I had, I had a dandelion and an orchid. Um, And it's true. Like you can't, even within the same family, your, your children will be different and Mm -hmm. will have different needs. And it's, but it really takes a lot of confidence, and I think I was blessed that I was a second-time mother, so I had more yeah. confidence. I was already, you know, you know, I had a, I had a profession in the field, so I felt I was a bit more uh, assertive about what I was doing. Uh, I can only imagine a first-time mom with a baby who's like doesn't want to be put down, uh, who's feeding all the time, being more under pressure to change her baby's behavior uh because yes. society is telling her to do so and not being so assertive in the way she's caring for her baby even though her instinct is probably telling her but this is what you should be doing you're doing you're doing the right thing by responding to your baby
0: yeah that was me though you know first time but, yeah. yeah a boy you know a little boy couldn't put down fed constantly um yeah just mm. uh you know yeah um definitely definitely relate yeah you recognize
1: one um, saying here and I think many people yeah. will be nodding to this of like yeah and but the beauty is that they don't they don't stay like this forever they eventually mm. one day just get up and leave their own life and be like no I don't need you you know leave you yeah. at the bottom of the street and I'll just go to school on my own and I don't
0: want my mate to see, to see yeah. you with me, me it, kiss. yeah it's funny as well because he's actually um So he's two now and he became quite independent. I I think once he turned about one, he was quite an independent soul. Yeah weirdly Mm. you know he kind of had gone from being this very um I hate the word clingy because it sounds so negative but he was seeking a lot of sensory Mm -hmm. um reassurance from me and and Mm. his dad very very bonded to both of us and then started walking and he was just off Mm. (laughs) and was very very excited about exploring the world and now Mm. at the moment he's going through a really really um like like clingy phase I suppose Mm -hmm. like he just wants me and no one else Mm -hmm. and um it is interesting to see other people's reactions to that Mm -hmm. and the concern on their faces yeah yeah and it's hard to even though I know I know I'm doing everything I should like it just fit what I do I do is right for me but Mm -hmm. yeah it is hard sometimes to stick to your guns and yes and not let that noise in even when you know even when you know all the things
1: it's, <laughs> it's true odd. yeah yeah of course there's this uh, this seed that's been planted in our brain from such a long time ago that it's almost like this flares up at time and makes you question that what if you know if what you're doing yeah. is is right or not um, sadly I
0: also think it is sad and I also think that there's another layer to this as well that's not just about culture like society's expectation mm-hmm. of of babies but also about how hard it is day to day to be the, a primary caregiver in a yeah. world which doesn't support families as well because it's not just that it's society wants you to separate from your child it's mm-hmm. that there's a part of you that also desperately needs more support and mm-hmm. that you can't possibly do it all yourself so mm-hmm. there's also a part of as a parent that you need to push your child away sometimes just to restore some of your own energy yes of
1: course
0: um, because you don't have that community care you know yes. like that we don't have those networks in place where there isn't um you know a, a grandmother in my flat t- holding the baby whilst I you know eat mm. and feed myself you know all of those things that um that I think we need as human beings
1: absolutely they also don't
0: exist yeah absolutely
1: it's it's very very challenging. You know, it's interesting when people I meet who are, you know, white and wealthy um talk about, you know, privileges. Um and I think when we think about privileges we think about finances. But mm-hmm. we don't some we don't think so much about the community. Uh and you know Often I see that people who are maybe not, not as well off financially but have a really good network of aunties and grandmothers and, you know, that that, that village mm-hmm. around them, that's a beautiful privilege to have, you know, it's and they tend to do better postnatally than mm-hmm. the mother who is isolated, like it's her and her partner and or her by herself with a child. Um, With none of that of that support,
0: so yeah, something that yeah, I understand. Then when someone is, you know, if you're, you see an advert for someone that's saying I can get your babies sleeping through the night by twelve hours in their own cot, you know, I can understand why that, you know, that's not a mother or a father being selfish or cruel Mm. or anything i can understand why that is an Mm. irresistible Mm. um offering isn't it because Mm. it's a lot to 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 carry on your own especially if you're working or whatever else or you've got other children or all these things you know Mm. like Mm. whatever's going on for you it's 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 tempting isn't
1: it absolutely and and there's a lot of preying on that vulnerability as well Mm. um unfortunately but
0: yeah Sadly. And yeah, and if you have your own wounds from your own childhood exactly. at play, then that's going it's it's a perfect storm, isn't it? It's just exploiting completely very vulnerable situation that a lot of modern parents find themselves in.
1: Especially especially with this particular wounds of like maternal wounds of childhood where it really knocks off your confidence, uh, because you were raised obviously with uh trying to uh, you know chase that love all the time because mm-hmm. it wasn't given to you on Conditionally, it was always conditional of you being a good a good kid or getting good grades or cleaning the house mm. or whatever um so already you've learned to chase that love around your whole life so that knocks off your confidence about unconditional love and what it means uh, then it leads to unhealthy relationships where you try to reproduce that model with people you meet and try to have a relationship with. And then the next layer of that is your relationship with your own children of like, oh my God, I have no self-confidence because I was never given that self-confidence, that, that mm. love. And how can you love yourself if nobody has loved you properly in your early years, uh, even mm. as a teen, you know? And for a lot of yeah. kids also, it's that love was there in the early childhood and then they became teenagers and then the, the the physical contact stopped it became awkward um and and that creates wounds as well like children uh, need love throughout their entire life it doesn't matter mm. how old you are. So, uh, I, and if as a message I can send to, to dads, if they are listening, is hug your sons, hug your daughters. It's not weird, you know. This is not mm. even if she's got boobs now. He's he's getting <laughs> you know a hairy chest and a deep voice. He's still your kid. Hug yeah. hug them. Oh my god, yeah. tell them you love them and show it by if they obviously happy with physical touch um because for a lot of kids they find that shift happens in those teen years where all of a sudden dads feel a bit awkward hugging their daughters because they see them more mm. as a woman now and you know have the conversation ask for consent you're growing up how do you feel about the touch how about me hugging you about mm. you know giving you a kiss before you go to bed and if the kid there says i'm not comfortable with it respect that boundary but if they're like mm yeah I want a hug dad or I want to hug mom a cuddle god
0: give in it's not weird it's not weird at all you know yeah oh it's so true and you don't have to answer this so I'm sorry if this is too personal but I was interested I was curious if you what you're if you've had kind of your own mother wounds to heal yourself but if you don't want to talk about that oh no absolutely fine
1: no I think I think it's important as um, healthcare professionals to be more honest about mental health and about Mm -hmm. our own own experience Uh, obviously when I go into a home and talking to women it's not about me it's not about my experience Mm -hmm. that is my you know left in in left at home but absolutely and I think that's why I'm so passionate about this topic and why I de- dedicate my life in into helping others in that in that field is because I was raised by her mom who met all my physical needs and beyond like physical needs there was no issue with that Mm. Uh, but she was and i believe with you know the kind of experience i have now i believe that she had some some mental health problems Mm. i was the first born i was a tricky birth um and uh, i was weeks away from her early on uh, you know layers and layers and layers and herself was she was the last baby of like i think they're like 12 or 13 kids Wow. Right. So you can imagine like what kind of experience she's had herself. So I've come to peace with and That's, that's one, one, one thing I would say from, you know, to anyone who's going through the journey, eventually it takes a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of um, introspection and a lot of like anger. Uh, but eventually you come to peace and forgiveness. Uh, and I'm not saying everyone's got to forgive their mother. Some others are, are, have been horrible and toxic mm-hmm. and, and narcissistic. So not everyone deserves your forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very forgiving person, but I think it's okay to forgive, but you are allowed not to forget if you don't want yes. to. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, it's such, a, it's such a wonderful feeling to let go of that <laughs> eventually. Um, and, and it's a long, it's gosh, I'm 45. Uh, and it's been in the past, I'd say five years where I've really realized what actually had happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, yeah, my, my mom never met any of my emotional needs. Uh, I was mm-hmm. too sensitive, too emotional. My mm-hmm. feelings were always dismissed. Um, it was always about her, how she was feeling. And we had to mirror the way she was feeling all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know when I, I she's had a really tough childhood and so I mm. cannot blame her I love I love her to bits but um it doesn't mean that you know it, it doesn't mean that the, the the hurt didn't happen it has mm. happened and it has left wounds um mm. but I'm so fortunate that I'm really someone who wants to be better uh mm. and wants to and really my my idea was I don't want to do the same with my own children and I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes but one thing is their emotional needs and that conversation mm-hmm. about how everybody's feeling and and sharing and respecting how everyone is um is very very important in my house like we have literally sessions where we can just be Open with each other about. Or I always want them to be open, but we do this little role play. So my kizana one is 18 and one is 11, and we do this role play where we we pretend to be each other as a joke. But it's kind of healing because in that role play we see, like I see for my kids the things I do that is probably annoying, so that I can work <laughs> on it. You know, and we <laughs> laugh and we cry and it's really fun. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone goes into this this kind of work being like, I don't have any issues and that's why I'm gonna <laughs>
0: help you, everyone. I mean, come on. And, yeah, I'm know, perfect, so let me share my perfection yeah, with you. <laughs> absolutely
1: no. I am probably the most messed up out of all of us, but hey, I've done a lot of work on it so I can only share what has what I've um, yeah, what I've learned from it, you know? Yeah. And, and and I think and being really honest gosh yeah uh, and i think it's quite interesting because i'm i've been reading recently something about healthcare professionals in particular doctors gps who are becoming more uh vocal about that they are humans yeah we like mental health issues or struggles or self-esteem yeah. problems uh, and we tend to idealize healthcare professionals are oh these people have figured it out we're still trying here we know maybe a little bit more than you do because we've studied but yeah
0: (laughs) yeah 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 it's so important isn't it Mm. you know I think we forget that sometimes when we see experts when we see whether that's a medical professional whether that's a sleep consultant that they are Mm. often playing out their own Mm. their own traumas their own life experiences and just because they're they've got a qualification and they've got expertise it doesn't mean that they're not as messed up as the rest of us (laughs) absolutely
1: and you know this is really we've got to be again very careful like as parents who are hiring these professionals um this there's often uh women in particular who have those wounds maternal wound will tend to get attached to a maternal figure Uh, like as a healthcare professional. So I have had that experience with the woman who had a terrible relationship with her mother. They were not on speaking terms, never felt loved or supported or understood. And she found this maternity nurse who was much, much older. So she was probably about the same age as this woman's mother and had not the best evidence-based advice, I'm going to label it, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but this woman literally bonded. It's trauma bonding, really, you know? Yeah. What, yeah. The void that she felt in herself, uh, she filled in with this woman who was replacing the mother figure she never had. And whatever this maternity nurse was saying, and there are some great maternity nurses out there, okay? This is not a criticism to maternity nurses, but whatever this woman was saying, she had the ultimate truth on everything, yeah. Yeah. And and if anyone, again, is aware of those wounds, or those, or those issues within themselves, be careful who you seek advice um, from. Make sure that the people you go to uh, will empower you, not exploit your vulnerability. Um, that's such an important message. I, I really want to make sure people walk away with that after listening to this. Interview people. Ask about their approach. Um, see how they treat you. You know, this is a person who's going to come into your life at a vulnerable time. They're there to support you, but not to mother you. Um, you, if you have these wounds, need to remother yourself. It's your journey within you, and maybe with the help of a psychotherapist. But stay away from anyone who's too authoritarian, who's too mm-hmm. I know everything and I know your baby better than you because mm-hmm. I have done this job with life for 25 years no mm-hmm. I know you know we know you and I Hannah know babies parents mm-hmm. know their own baby we wouldn't yeah, ever you are, know better.
0: No, you are the like, the parent is the expert absolutely the absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but unfortunately we see too many of this so and, and often I found I go in obviously like to do a breastfeeding consultation And there's a conflict then between as the mother tends to gain her uh, own independence and and a change of intuition and her confidence towards the baby. There starts the clash with the maternity Mm -hmm. nurse where, you know, she's starting to doubt what is being said as well. And, oh my goodness, it ends up being this really conflicting environment. uh, That's not very nice to be, to be around. So, so yeah, just, watch everyone (laughs) if you are thinking of hiring anybody it can be a lactation consultant a sleep expert or you know whoever it is that you are interviewing to to support you in your journey or even family members if your mother is too overbearing and stepping in too quickly to tell you what to do set boundaries it's okay it's healthy it's very very healthy
0: I am um, I really enjoyed listening back to this interview actually um it happened five, six months ago, so I have to admit I was a bit nervous because you never know when you listen to something back, especially if it was done a while ago. uh, well, I always think, did I sound completely stupid in that interview, and what did I actually say um and we yeah, are we were talking about some really raw and powerful topics here, so um, I hope uh, I didn't say anything too stupid either but um, I just loved listening to Steph actually I think she is such a voice of reason um, and kindness and she's such a force for good. Um, I think just me personally as a mother I found it really reassuring as well. Um, so you know and since this interview was recorded um And I mentioned earlier in the intro intro that I have gone through a bit of a burnout and a bit of overwhelm myself. And I realized listening back to this, actually, I think this interview was kind of the catalyst for me realizing that. And then I started um, having some talking therapy not long after this interview was recorded. So, really grateful for Steph because a lot of the things that she was talking about, especially that inner child. I'm thinking about my own parenting and how I was parented. It brought up a lot of stuff for me, and um, I know that therapy is a real privilege, and that not everyone is able to do that and or have access to it. But I've been very lucky that um, even though it's just early days for me in my therapy experience, it's been um, transformative already. Um, so I would say that you know, if you are listening to this and it's bringing up a lot of stuff for you and you do have some access to either speaking to your doctor or health visitor or midwife about how you're feeling and if it's possible where you live there's a referral process that you can get some therapy or you can explore private therapy you know I think um, as Steph says it's not for everyone there's never going to be one approach that is the right way for everyone but um, for me it's helped enormously so I just wanted to share that Um, and you know I could have talked to Steph for absolutely hours and hours and we we went off on quite a lot of tangents so I hope that the episode was um, uh, made sense I suppose Um, because we didn't just talk about mother wounds you know we touched on raising boys about family support and networks and different parenting styles and You know, there's lots and lots of things that Steph said that really stayed with me, Um, particularly, for example, when she said that children who are criticised by their parents don't go on to dislike the parent. They don't dislike the mother. They go on to dislike themselves. And that's just so powerful, isn't it? Um, And I have to say uh, for myself, um, I I can be extremely self-critical. And when I became a mother, this was more apparent than ever in fact I think it shone a light on just how harsh on myself I could be Uh, I would say that failure was the language that I spoke to myself you know so I had a lot of shame over how I gave birth or how I fed my baby or just generally whether or not I was doing it right or as well as other people and I guess now I've done a lot of work on this Um, particularly thinking about that inner critic and where that comes from and why I give that voice so much attention and what I can do with it and move forward. And I have to say throughout this process, I have become so much kinder to myself. Um, Although this is very, I am very much like everyone else, very much a work in progress. So uh, it's early days, but um, I definitely, one of the things I hear the most from either clients or friends or people that I get to connect to through Instagram and social media is this sense of failure in parenthood. and so I guess uh, what I wanted to start doing with the second series that I didn't in the first was introduce a bit of a sort of final thought um, and a sum up. And I d- maybe you're old enough like me to remember watching like the Jerry Springer show. So this is my um, attempt at uh, my kind of Jerry's final thought. Um So basically, I suppose what I want to say at the end of this episode is just that we need to be kind to ourselves and we need to go gently through motherhood and fatherhood. This is hard work and we are all messy and complex beings and we are not ever going to be perfect parents. So if we can be honest with ourselves about how hard it is and how we feel about ourselves and parenting I think that is actually half the battle and so when I talk about gentle and responsive parenting That really means being gentle to ourselves as well as our babies. So much of what we do in caring for little people is reparenting ourselves, is exploring our own feelings about our own childhoods and ourselves and can be very much a a mirroring or a triggering experience depending on what your childhood was like. Um, And so forgiving yourself, acknowledging where you are, and going gently with yourself is the greatest gift you can give yourself as a parent but that's also a great gift to give your child as well because I think if they can see us being human and flawed and that's obviously something Steph and I talked about a lot in today's episode about not not trying to pretend to be parent perfect parents for our children but just meeting yourself where you are today and being kind to yourself I think that's a really powerful thing that is not only hugely beneficial to you, but can also be a gift that you give to your children as well. So, yeah, that's my final thoughts. Um, Thank you very much for listening and uh, I'll be back next week with an episode all about reflux.